We're back on the BAT podcast with a very special guest today. Today we have Greg Miller from Salt Lake City, Utah. He uh, is one of the founders of the Land Cruiser Heritage Museum, which is right there in Salt Lake and houses a super interesting collection of all sorts of unusual Toyota Land Cruisers, uh, all the way back to the early history up to modern day and many with really interesting stories and runs a really neat operation. We want to talk about it today. Greg, welcome. Thanks, Randy. Always great to be with you. Um, we're excited to chat a little bit about the museum. Some people know about it. It's a it's a little inside baseball, like Land Cruiser people know about it, but some other people don't know about it. I discovered it a number of years ago, but still actually haven't visited. You guys have a cool website that shows some things that are going on there that I have followed closely. But I'm excited that my first visit is going to be here in a couple of weeks for an event you're having once a year now called Cruiser Fest, which is right in my wheelhouse. Um, but tell us first off just about the museum and, and why it's there and kind of why you started it. Well, it's a story I love to tell. Uh, Land cruisers are near, are near and dear to my heart. And I guess it probably started with my dad. His, his uh, association with Toyota began clear back in 1968 and um, continued through uh, the time of his death and even through today. Um, we've, we've got several Toyota and Lexus stores in our uh, family business portfolio today. But uh, my first recollection of a Land Cruiser was um, back in the, I would say, 1970. I was probably four or five years old. And I remember going to work with my dad once when he was a parts manager at Stevenson Toyota in Lakewood, Colorado. And um, I got bored watching him work. So I wandered off out into the back lot. And I, I can still remember uh, seeing this really cool powder blue Jeep looking thing. And I I went up and tugged on the door handle and it opened. And so I climbed up in there and uh, I can still uh, I can still sense that intoxicating combination of uh, rust and oil and dust and naga hide. And, and it all kind of comes together in that that beautiful blend. And I, I climbed up in there and pretended like I was driving it. And, and uh, that was probably the moment it all started for me. And then uh, since then, Land Cruisers have just been a huge part of my life. Uh, when my dad, as he moved through the ranks in the Stevenson organization, uh, we would take our family vacations in FJ-55s, often winding up in Canyonlands down in Southern Utah. We'd also drive up to Banff and Lake Louise. And it's laughable now. I mean, we'd probably, my parents would get, uh, you know, have our, have their kids taken away for the car had five seatbelts and there were two adults and five kids. And so two of us would take turns riding in the cargo bay with the old metal Coleman cooler and an apple box full of cheese and crackers. And, um, and we would just log the miles at 55 miles an hour, you know, and, and, uh, so then when on the, my 16th birthday, I remember, waking up early and going in my, in my mom and dad's bedroom and uh, grabbing the keys to the FJ 60 that my mom had as a demo and shaking them. Come on, mom, wake up. We got to go get my driver's license test. And, and, uh, and so, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of memories. And so as far as the museum goes, um, this was probably in about 2011. Um, I had maybe a dozen Land Cruisers. I just had started buying cool Land Cruisers that I saw with no particular 
objective or theme to the acquisitions other than just no discipline and seeing a cool one and buying it. And so I was preparing for this, um, this global expedition, me and uh, my friend Scott Brady from Overland Journal and Expedition Portal uh, had connected on this idea to drive the same land cruiser on all seven continents. And um, so as we, as, the, as that plan developed, we went, we found ourselves in uh, Toyota city in Japan, outside of Nagoya to take delivery of the two VDJ 78 land cruisers that we would ultimately drive around the world. One made it on six continents, one made it on all seven. The one uh, that only did six, we chose not to fly it to Antarctica but the other one did make it to Antarctica. And those cars, by the way, are on display at the museum as well. So anyway, Scott and I and my oldest son, Oakley, are, on, uh, are in Toyota City to take delivery off the assembly line of these cars. And we scheduled a couple of extra days to go hit the other Toyota museums to see all these cool land cruisers that surely were on display over there. And to our surprise, after hitting three Toyota-owned uh, museums, we saw zero Land Cruisers on display. They had they had a chassis of one that, that showed the drivetrain, but there were no completed uh, vehicles. And I just, uh, I didn't know how to process that. I knew enough about Toyota's, uh, you know, about Land Cruiser's history or role in the history of Toyota, I should say, where as they became a global company, one of their growth strategies was to, to send Land Cruiser into the new market first and establish this reputation for legendary quality, uh, durability, reliability, dependability, and reliability. And uh, and then once they they got that toehold, they bring in the Toyopet and the, the Corona and the Crown and other things. And so it, it just was such an important part in their history. I was surprised that there wasn't more, you know, more space, so to speak, given to these land cruisers in their in their museum. So Anyway, uh, I got home and I, I started thinking about it. And me and a, another friend, Kurt Williams, uh, who's kind of a, a legend in the Land Cruiser uh, community, were driving to a small town in the middle of Wyoming one night to pick up a soft top FJ70 or uh, BJ70 rather that I had purchased from a, a gentleman up there. And um, as we were driving up there, Kurt had a computer and I said, Hey, I got an idea. I want to run by you. So he brought his laptop and on the drive from Salt Lake up into Wyoming, we started kind of sketching out what the museum would look like if we were to put it together. And, and I remember that night we decided that one of our objectives would be to um, acquire one of every OEM model of Land Cruiser that was ever available. And then subsequent to that, that night, we, we realized that there was a, a rabbit hole worth of options. If you look at the commercial applications and then another category of historically significant land cruisers that is you know, less prolific than, than the commercial applications, but still a rabbit hole nonetheless. So, um, so here we are, that would have been in, like I said, probably 12 that I did that drive into Wyoming with Kurt. So we're here nine years, 10 years later, and we've acquired most of the OEM models. There's three late model JDM uh, versions that we, we have not acquired yet for political reasons, which I can get into if, we, if you want. Um, but then the, the, the really hard stuff to find, I need an FJ35, I need an FJ38. And uh, like the unicorn among unicorns would be an AK-10. 
which depending on which research you read, there are rumored to have ever been four or six or 10 produced back in the, in around 1950. And uh, everybody seems to think that they've all been crushed and there's no evidence to the contrary. So I, I may never get an AK-10, but, but um, so we're pretty close on the OEM lineup. And then uh, there's still a number of commercial application vehicles that I'd like to get, like an Austra uh, sorry, an African game viewer, for example. But we've got a lot of cool ones. We have a, a truck that serviced the ra uh, radio and television network in the hills of Japan. We have an FJ-56 tow truck. Um, we've got uh, an ambulance. We've got some army vehicles and military vehicles, I should say. And so there's a lot of really neat variations of those. So as the museum sits now, we've got probably uh, a, a a little over a hundred different models there. Everything from a, a Toyota Jeep, 1953 BJT Toyota Jeep to a 2021 Heritage Edition US spec Land Cruiser 200 series and pretty much everything in between. Unbelievable. Well, there's a lot of a lot of models in there I want to jump on. I do want to jump on the political thing, but I mean, back before uh, what you were saying about Japan, so you guys were over there looking for museums, looking for cruisers in museums. Did you ever, I mean, did you pose the question to folks that were letting you in these places? Like, where are they? Like, like were they, they just didn't think of it as worth being restored or being in a museum or were you in the wrong place? Or like, what, what was the deal? What, what, why didn't they have cruisers? We did pose the question and it was, it was, um, you know, they had, in, in one museum, one in, in fairness, one was a museum that was the, uh, a tribute to the early, early days of Toyota that focused on the looms. Uh, many of your listeners probably know that Toyota was actually founded as a like a loom or weaving company and, and later evolved to a transportation company. And uh, so the two of them were specifically automotive and they had 2000 GTs and and centuries and high ace bands and all kinds of cool stuff, but they just didn't have um, a, a Land Cruiser. And I don't know if it was just timing or um, you know bad timing on our part, or or they didn't have them in the rotation or or what it was. Nobody was able to really give us a solid answer on that. Super interesting. Um, well, some of those models that you reference are are near and dear, and some people know them. But yeah, you definitely have some obscure stuff. What what's the vehicle total? First off, in the in the museum, how many how many rigs you got there? Uh, somewhere between one hundred and one hundred and ten. Oh man, unbelievable! <laughs> That's cool. I'd love to see. I don't know that I've ever seen that many cruisers in one place. Um, but so you got that many of them, and you're listing off. Um, so just a sort of naive question. I, I love cruisers. I've been around cruisers as long as I can remember, but I don't have any idea what an AK-10 is. Can you tell people what those four mythical dinosaurs are that may no longer roam the earth? Yeah, well, the AK-10 was a prototype that um, the Japanese, that Toyota actually um, was working on in an attempt to try to fill some requests they'd had for some military vehicles. And um, I think they were, the, if, you, if you Google AK-10, you'll see it's a really crude, almost looked like an old farm tractor. And I, I think they would just build one, they would test it. And, uh, and um, 
once they identified what the weaknesses were in it, they would improve it for the second one. And then I'm told they would crush the first one and just keep going with that process. And again, it's, it's unclear how many survive, if any, and, and what their fate might've been. Um, so that, that is the AK-10. It, it actually resembles the BJT a little bit. Um, the, the, um, the Toyota, the, the Jeep was, um, I think from 51 to 54, they made that one. And uh, if, you, if you Google both of those, you can see there is a bit of a resemblance and as primitive as the, the BJT looks, it's still um, quite a, a refinement from the AK-10. Interesting. Super cool. Well, I hope some people will Google that stuff. I definitely will. Um, and we'll look at we'll look at some of the stuff at the museum as well. But what, so then what is the actual earliest chassis or, or vehicle that you have in the collection of 100 plus? We have a 1953 BJT. Uh, it's, it's actually not called a Land Cruiser. It's called a Toyota Jeep. And as the story goes, um, in about 56 or 57, Toyota had been uh, gearing up producing, they, by then they'd probably produced several hundred Toyota Jeeps. And then Willys called and said, hey, that thing you guys are building that you're calling a Jeep, you can't call it. Our thing is a Jeep, you can't call it that. And so shortly thereafter, uh, they came up with the name Land Cruiser. And I think globally 57 was probably the first year for uh, Land Cruisers in the US, I believe it was 1958 was the first year. Fantastic. Well, you know so much. You are a, a catalog of this sort of information, and I, we really appreciate you sharing it. Uh, BAT, as you've seen, and you and I have talked about, has has uh, always sort of embraced cruisers of all flavors, just because that's sort of always been something that's a favorite of mine. My first car was a uh, 74 FJ40. Um, and so hunting cruiser classifieds has always been a thing for me. It sounds like if you're taking road trips to Wyoming, uh, and you mentioned no discipline in purchasing, we have a little bit of overlap in our pastimes. Well, let me tell you, Randy, your bring a trailer thing has made the no discipline thing, uh, run rampant. It's, uh, I don't know how many land cruisers I bought on bring a trailer, but it's probably a good thing. My wife doesn't know either. <laughs> Um, well, anyhow, we are presenting some of the interesting ones and that, I mean, BAT kind of started like that of just sort of turning over rocks and finding interesting stuff. And yeah, if I would find a, you know, JDM FJ 56 with, uh, with ambulance doors, like in New Hampshire or something that would surely make the grade and, uh, for better or worse, we would put some eyeballs on it. Right. Because those sort of things were buried on the internet all over the place. And it's just really fun surfacing those um, and talking about them and getting people excited about them. And now, uh, as you know, a cruiser can cost anything from four grand to 400 grand, depending on where you put your priorities. Yeah, it's a it's a remarkable thing you've created with the Bring a Trailer website. Um, I spent too much time on it this morning, as a matter of fact. And <laughs> luckily, I got got outbid, luckily or unluckily, but it's. I love what you've done. And I think for me, um, aside from the ease of use and the just the super intuitive navigation, the thing that I value most about it is, is uh, just the, the data base that it becomes a repository to help, um, you know, help ascertain market values and, and uh, on, on every car, you know, any car that's got any collectability whatsoever, there's a database for it. And that I think is a great, 
resource for collectors of all types of cars. So thanks for putting that together. Oh, that's, that's cool to hear. Yeah. I like that. And I like being able to refer to that, you know, after you've looked at 2000 listings for Datsun 510s, it's kind of nice to have them all in one place instead of forgetting where all your screenshots and bookmarks were. So anyway, I use it for that too. And I think a lot of people do. So that's uh, flattering for us to hear from, from a sophisticated guy such as yourself that you're using it in that way, but that's, that's helpful and great for the rest of the community to hear. Um, I would say, um, well, since you mentioned it and I'm dancing around it a little bit, I want to hear why you don't have those three models. You mentioned you don't have three for maybe some, uh, some sort of background political reasons. I don't know what you're allowed to share or what you're not, but, uh, can you uh, shed some light on that for us? Yeah. And it's, it's, um, I'd be happy to, as, as you'd imagine, many of the vehicles in the museum are non-U.S. spec and therefore not legal for use on uh, U.S. highways. And so the way we've, we've dealt with that is we have um, developed relationships with NHTSA, um, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, and the uh, EPA, uh, the two agencies that need to sign off on uh, importation of non-U.S. spec vehicles. And going back to the Obama administration, when the majority of, of our uh, applications were approved, we kind of hit a cadence. We had some good contacts within those departments. We, we understood the application process and, and where the potential snags were and so on. And, and we got, I would say, dozens of cars uh, approved to bring in for show and display purposes. And then, and this is this is kind of what I've stitched together, you know, just a few uh, data points based on calls I've made to people who, who know the DC scene um, as well as anybody that I know. And they, I, we kind of, so, so there were the JDM models, late models, we needed a, a 120 or 121, uh, a 125, a 150 or 151 and a 155. They're ubiquitous in Japan, and they're pretty bland, pretty boring cars, uh, but, but they're kind of like Camrys are here in, in America. And, and uh, so I actually bought one, and I don't remember which one of those four models it was, but I, I bought it through the guy that had uh, sold me a lot of other JDM products, late model GD, JDM products. And it was sitting in the yard and we, we applied for all the permits and, you know, permissions that we needed to, to import it. And it was crickets and we couldn't get, um, couldn't get a response. We couldn't get anybody to answer the phone or an email. So I called a friend who's pretty well connected in the DC scene. And this was during the Trump administration. And his response was, he just kind of laughed when I told him why I was calling. He said, well, Greg, it's, it's a no brainer. If you think about it, he said, President Trump hates big government. And so he's not doing anything to support a lot of those offices. And all the good people in those offices have either been promoted to other places where they're not going to answer your call or they've gone to the private sector or they've retired. And, and as those, as those um, migrations have taken place, there hasn't been anybody coming in behind them. And so most of those departments are on skeleton crews now. And <clears throat> So then I had another attorney that I work with who um, was in DC and um, while she was there, she had dinner with an attorney uh, who had uh, pretty, pretty firsthand knowledge of the goings on with my applications. 
And she was, uh, my, my attorney was there and she said it was a wonderful social dinner that she had with this gentleman. And then at the very end, she said, Hey, by the way, um, would you uh, happen to know anything about these applications that my client uh, has uh, uh, submitted? And he, she said the, the tone changed immediately. And she just said, look, you need to tell Greg to cool his jets. This isn't going to happen. And, uh, and that was all, I mean, her instincts were don't push it, just let that, let it sit. And so that's what we've done. And as a result, I actually sold the car that I had on in the yard over there and took a huge loss on it. Cause I, I know I paid too much for it, but it, you know, so anyway, it's gone. Um, and so there's probably, as I'm thinking about it, there's probably four models, not three that are those, those four late model JDMs that I need to get, um, a version of into the museum. And maybe now that the Biden administration has been in place, as long as they have those, those, um, agencies are restaffed and, uh, and I should probably make another run at it before I go buy those cars. But just based on the, the, uh, feedback that that attorney friend of mine, um, gave me, a, she, she thinks maybe best to wait as long as I can to let whatever dust settle that, that may have caused him concern. So that's kind of where we sit right now. Oh man, I would say anybody who's imported cars resonates with you. There's a lot of those in our, in our crowd as well, who have either dealt with the port or dealt with DC or dealt with uh, some sort of agency. And, you know, it's on the desk of the person that retired is that's not the first time I've heard that story. So sorry, that's, uh, that's slowing things up for the museum. I, I do appreciate that the museum, at least formerly, got a little bit of a fast track for that, where it's for somewhat for the public good of people seeing it. It's not just for somebody looking to win a drag race or whatever else with their Nissan Skyline. This is kind of a, a better justification for show and display. Um, you know, but the, the ironic thing about that is, as I've been digging into it, or, you know, uh, when I was digging into it, what I learned was that the 25-year rule exists because of the auto industry. And, you know, there's so many gray market cars coming into the U.S. that the, I don't know if it was the National Auto Dealers Association, it was probably them, but I'm not sure it was, that, that helped lobby to get this law passed. And so my own industry, the industry that feeds my kids and puts a roof over my head is the one that, that is the, the biggest antagonist to rounding out the museum collection. It's kind of a an ironic twist. Yeah, that is an interesting one. Well, I don't know what it was like in Utah in the 80s, but in California in the 80s, people were importing every gray market thing up until 86 or 7, whenever it was, they shut it off. I mean, it was, you'd see European stuff. And I geeked out on all that as a little kid, like identifying a, you know, gray imported car for its different taillights and all the illegal stuff on it and all that sort of thing. That that was a whole cottage industry. And, and yeah, they clamped it down, uh, probably for some good reason, but man, I always wanted to see less than 25 year old supercars and stuff that I saw in German car magazines and never got to see them for until you take a trip over there for that for that reason. You know, it would be interesting to do you could do a whole podcast on the legalities of that there's so much misinformation floating around about, you know, that people think that just because you can license and register a car in a given state that it's legally imported, and they don't understand the difference between that and the actual legality of the importation process and so on. And, and it would be interesting to, to, you know, have, have an expert on and just really break that down. I think there's a huge appetite for that. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something we could talk about at a, a later episode. 
Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we take a pretty careful approach on that. You know, the guy with his, you know, three-year-old European spec BMW or whatever, trying to sell it out of Florida with a clean title, you know, we've uh, we've learned our lesson on a few of those and are very cautious sure. on, on that sort of stuff. So it's a, it is uh, handled differently by a whole bunch of different folks, but uh, the, the BAT name of the game is to, to be very careful and, and thoughtful about how we do that. We don't want somebody to get stuck with a car like that. Uh, but interestingly, uh, and there's a couple of people that have even commented, I think they may have even commented publicly, but they've reached out to us. Uh, BAT uh, flies around inside the NHTSA office in DC and a couple of them reached out to us and are like, oh yeah, I work for the government and I know the 25 year old, you know, year rule pretty clearly because I enforce it and uh, we're happy to help. They actually were super cheerful and helpful. And we're like, we love BAT and we love that it, you know, surfaces if there's a problem that gets shut down. And if there's, they really like that we've booted a couple of cars that actually aren't legal and that, that sort of thing. So um, anyway, they are, their eyes are sort of everywhere on the internet, I think. And they're, uh, that includes BAT. So we'll, we'll see, but that could be a future podcast. Uh, we may want to get your perspective on it. Well, that's a really cool perspective. I was unaware that you guys had that connection, but now that I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. And that's probably just one more dimension of value that you're adding to your, your audience. Thanks for yeah. doing that. We're trying, we're trying to do that. So you want to, you want to have everybody uh, paying attention. Um, so yeah, so back to the uh, museum a little bit. Um, so I don't know how many years ago, but you're trying to turn this into an annual thing, this Cruiser Fest one day or, or weekend of uh, sort of celebration of both the museum and the, the community that surrounds Land Cruisers. Tell me what the story is there and, and about the one coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, so Cruiser Fest, as you said, I think this will be our 13th annual event. It'd be the 13th year we've held it. We, we, like a lot of people, missed out on last year. But it, this is either our 12th or 13th year. Uh, it started as a small gathering back when the, the Land Cruiser Heritage Museum was out at the old Miller Motorsports Park. We, we had maybe 20 Land Cruisers show up. And um, it's, it's grown into quite a neat event. And I like to think of it as an open house for the Land Cruiser Heritage Museum. We try to we tried to build some date equity into it by hosting the event on the first Saturday after Labor Day for probably the last 10 years. And um, it's, it's really neat. We, uh, this year we're going to have a bunch of food trucks there. Uh, we're going to have a show and shine uh, where, where anybody with a Land Cruiser can have it on display there through um, uh, throughout the day to, just share it with all the other folks that are there. In 2019, when we held this event, we had a, a little over 400 people come through that day. Uh, unless we have some kind of crazy flare up with, uh, with COVID again, I'm hoping that we'll actually exceed that this year. The more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. And I love families to come. I, I love seeing young kids in the museum with their parents and just see that spark where, uh, they can, they get that little sense of adventure and it plays right into the, I, I know I'm kind of wandering. Let me go sideways for just a second, back to the museum. The mission of the Land Cruiser Heritage Museum is to preserve and celebrate the history of the Toyota Land Cruiser and to inspire adventure. And so when I see kids there with their parents and, uh, and I see them start planning, Hey, I'm going to go home and dust off that, that FJ 60 that I have a bunch of boxes stacked on in the garage and I'm going to get it running. I'm going to take my kids camping. That is the biggest payday I get because 
because it involves land cruisers, it involves family, it involves outdoors, adventure. It's just, it's awesome. And so I, I, I hope that Cruiser Fest um, kind of results in that. It, it inspires people to get off the couch or leave the office early one week and, and just get out, be with their family, reconnect with, with what's important and kind of level set in, in nature, hang out with their buddies, just, just you know, do something for themselves and uh, relax and enjoy, enjoy it. So, um, you know, we're going to have, in addition to the things that I mentioned uh, with Cruiser Fest, we're going to have some big names, as you mentioned at the, the outset. Um, you're going to be there to address the folks. I'm not sure if you're there at 1 or 1.30, but we're looking forward to, to hearing uh, your message. And uh, you've offered to take some Q&A, as I understand it. So I appreciate that. I'm sure that's going to be really well received. There'll also be some, some how-to um, demonstrations there from experts on various outdoor-related activities. Um, and then, of course, there'll be tours of the museum. Uh, there's going to be more information at LandCruiserHM.com. That's LandCruiserHM.com, which is the, the website for the Land Cruiser Heritage Museum. Or folks could just Google CruiserFest, and, and I'm sure they'll find what they need to know there. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's going to be a, a killer day. And there's also some news with the museum, which is that it's it's uh, changed it up to a, a new facility. Is that right? Yes. Um, this will be our third facility in probably just under 10 years of the museum. And uh, we had a really cool old facility, but we lucked into an even cooler facility. This one's exactly 12 blocks north of the old facility. The address is 476 West, 600 North in Salt Lake City. And the thing I love about this facility is, number one, it's, it's about 20% bigger than our, our old facility, which will allow us a really neat room for um, like uh, presentations or small social gatherings. But, but the building was built in the 1930s as a foundry, and it's, it's got probably 35-foot ceilings at the apex of the cupola, tons of clear story windows, tons of natural light, and all of that uh, patina on the, the original iron columns and, and cross members and stuff is there. And it, it just, it, it, I mean, the building itself sort of sets the tone for a great historical experience. And there's, there's just lots of, uh, like I say, patina and, and, you know, stains on the walls and, and um, texture to the walls from metal hitting it and, and so on. And then, then that is sort of juxtaposed against some of these really well done, polished, colorful vehicles that are just, uh, you know, displayed across the, the new concrete floor. And it, it's just such an amazing feel. We just moved in last weekend, actually. And uh, so I've been down there every day since. I just can't get enough of it. And, and I really hope that others feel the same way about it. I know I'm a little prejudiced, but, but hopefully, you know, that one thing I've learned about the museum is as much fun as it is to curate and, and own or donate land cruisers to the foundation, it's way more fun to share them with other people who, who you know, share the affinity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Well, I'm excited to see that building and see the additional space that you all have and uh, all the guests that'll be there. I presume with uh, with hundreds of vehicles will be outside. So we'll see the sort of indoor outdoor feel of the event. So that sounds 
That sounds terrific. I mean, you say you've been down there every day, you're doing the move, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, you're a busy guy, you have all sorts of uh, things going on at your fingertips, but how much time are you spending on this thing, man? Is this like your pet side project or is this like where you're out spending all your time? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, that's a funny question. I would hate to have you ask my assistant that question because she did <laughs> her eyes, but you know, I, I have had a, I've been very blessed in my career. I've had a pretty good run. And uh, my most recent assignment um, in the family business, I, I filled the role of CEO for about seven years. And then I owned a Toyota store in San Diego for a couple of years. And basically, since I sold the dealership in California, this has been my outlet for my energy. And it's kind of worn the people that work with me out because I, I put a lot into it. And I've always got another idea. Hey, we got to make this happen. And I, I, in my mind, whenever I walk in the building, I can I can hear them all saying, "Oh, here comes Greg, duck cover," you know. But yeah, it's it's been a really enjoyable outlet, and I I try to uh, to be there enough to support it and, and derive satisfaction from it. But I also it's important to me to let the people who run the museum uh, or are involved with it day to day, such as Dan Busey and and Jules Cho and uh, Toby, my assistant, Toby Warner, who's awesome, uh, have a little autonomy so that they can do their thing and, and enjoy it and not just feel like it's, uh, you know, that they're working on my to-do list all the time. And I, I like to think that we meet that standard with them. That's great. Um, do you have uh, any sort of museums that, um, sort of spark inspiration for you, something that you're trying to maybe pattern it after or others that you've been to that really uh, kind of set it off and made you want to do something like this? Um, you know, I try to, to plagiarize an idea or two from every museum I go to. Uh, the two that are coming to mind uh, this moment are the Shelby American Collection in Boulder, Colorado. It's a phenomenal museum that houses amazing history from the, the 60s, you know, with Carol Shelby and Ken Miles and, and the whole crew. Uh, you can just really feel their personalities when you're in there. And, and that one is um, very similar in feel and in presentation to the Land Cruiser Heritage Museum. And then, in, in my opinion, probably the very top of the totem pole would be uh, the the Peterson Automotive Museum in LA. That place is absolutely phenomenal. And of course the cars they have on display, many of them are probably literally priceless, but the history there and the presentation and, and uh, it's just amazing. So those are two that have provided inspiration to me for sure. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of museums all over the place and we love seeing support for them, right? We love people that are visiting them. And like you say, taking the family or taking the kids and, and passing it on and letting them know why uh, CSX Cobra is the way it is and how that's different from all the ones you, you see made out of fiberglass at the uh, gas pumps uh, and, and all the all the details and history you can learn. I, I really I really love that stuff. So uh, I that's another one in, in, uh, in Colorado there that I haven't been to. I feel they have a pretty good social media presence and I've been following them, but uh, I've never been there and would love to. But the Peterson, we've worked closely with a BAT and held events there and done things with them. And um, that's a, that's a meaningful one for me, uh, as well. So, um, 
I know we have the event coming up. Let's make sure we share the date for that. Cruiser Fest is September 11th of this year, a Saturday. Um, I will be there. Uh, Greg, I assume you'll be there that day and there'll be all sorts of uh, interesting vehicles. I'm trying to overthink it as I tend to do and see if I can bring the right vehicle or show up with the right <laughs> setup. But I think the stars of the show are going to be uh, in the museum um, and some of the uh, sort of visitor vehicles that show up that day. So I think people can kind of bring whatever they bring and uh, expect to have a good time, would you say? I would, and I, I would just emphasize that it doesn't have to be a Land Cruiser. Cars are cool, whatever form they take, and and everybody's welcome. We'd love to see your Cruiser if you've got one, but if not, just come with what you've got, and we'll have fun either way. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. Um, well, yeah, so we've got it on the calendar, on the BAT calendar. I am super flattered that you invited me to, to chat a little bit about BAT with folks when we are there. That'll be a fun trip for me. I haven't been to Salt Lake in a little while. Uh, need a trip back and we get to see the museum. And so uh, we're going to take some photos when we're there and certainly put a story up on BAT about our experience there. But um, the, the most important part is want people to know about the event, know about the museum, go to the website um, that Greg mentioned earlier. Tell us that URL again, Greg. It's Land Cruiser HM for Heritage Museum, landcruiserhm.com. Cool. Yeah, you got some good, good stuff and good info there along with the event. Um, and yeah, I think that's all about all, all we've got for you, Greg, today. Uh, it was super fun to meet you at Laguna Seca. I knew you were there uh, trolling around at our alumni gathering event that we had. Give us a, a couple tidbits of uh, your experience out at the track or out at that weekend. There's, there's just no substitute for the atmosphere of a racetrack. The sound, you know, the wind, the, the smell of racing fuel. And then there's just always so many cool people there and it, it just, it's so easy to strike up a conversation. And then, you know, you add to that all the cars and the transport, the pageantry of it. It's, it's just a wonderful environment. And uh, it was really cool to, to connect with you out there and see, see some of the cars over in your bullpen and just uh, wish I could spend more time at a racetrack environment. Yeah. It was a ton of fun for us at that event and having you drop by and say hello um, was a highlight for me. So I appreciate that. And I'm excited to connect again in a couple of weeks. Well, Greg Miller, uh, thanks for your insights. I'm sure it's uh, new and interesting info for a lot of folks that listen to the BAT podcast. Um, and obviously the Land Cruiser category on BAT is the one I've got bookmarked and get all my alerts from. So uh, people can check out what we've got going through the, the site there. And if you ever have any questions, fire them over to podcast at bringatrailer.com and we'll uh, answer them. And Greg, maybe we'll have you back. Sounds like some other things are in the works in the future for the museum and, and other enterprises and uh, anything we can ever do for you guys or to help out the museum or the foundation, you can reach out. Thanks, Randy. And thank you for all you do for the automotive community. Uh, you do great work and uh, it's, it's an honor to be associated with you. Cool. It's a lot of fun too. So we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. And thanks everybody for listening. Take care.